Welcome to the ministry of Harvest Life Church. We pray that this message would help harvest the life God has for you. Turn your Bibles today to Luke chapter 18. I've got a lot of material to get through today in the next few minutes, and I'm going to do my best to do diligence to it. But Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1, is a parable. And how many would remember that a parable is not doctrine, a parable is not exact truth, but a parable, listen to it now, is a heavenly story with an earthly interpretation. So it's very important that you understand what God is saying when Jesus gives a parable. Now this one is really easy to interpret. Because the Bible tells you exactly why Jesus gave the parable. But even though that's the reason why Jesus gave it, we get so many different things from it. But he tells you at the start of it what you're supposed to get out of it. Are you ready? Let's look together. Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable unto them that men should always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying. So right away. Out the gate, we have the reason why Jesus has given this parable. Let me ask you, why is Jesus giving us this parable? So that men would always, sometimes, amen. Do we have the scripture up there? Why did he speak the parable? So that men ought to pray and how often? Always. He never wants you to lose heart, and he never wants you to stop praying. Amen? That means whatever you see happening, no matter how bad it is, never quit, never surrender, never give up. Keep fighting for what God has for you and God's best. Can I, can I hear an amen to that? And I think that's the essence of being okay. Now listen to it now. It says there was a certain, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man, nor was there, <clears throat> now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get me justice from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God, say that's not God. See, a lot of people read this and then they interpret, oh, well the judge is God and the person is me. No, the person is you, but the judge is not God. How do we know the judge is not God? Because he doesn't fear God nor man. So God's not wanting to take that part of it. Do, you, do everybody understand that? Amen? And while he would not for afterwards, but ever said to himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6 says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long? Jesus is not saying that God is like the unjust judge. Jesus is saying that you have to be like the importunate woman. That no matter what seemed to be resisting you, you've got to keep knowing, knowing that God is on your side. Now, what's interesting is Jesus ends this parable with this statement. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
In other words, will he find someone who is still believing him even though circumstances haven't worked out? This is the kind of faith you need to have if you are going to be okay. God is trying to tell us through this parable that in life you're going to have enemies. Amen? You're going to have physical enemies. You're going to have emotional enemies. You're going to have mental enemies, which is what mental illness is. And you cannot afford to quit praying. You cannot afford to believe that God is somehow causing this. You can never give up on the cure because God is always on your side and he is always fighting for you to win. How many got the message of the parable? God wants us to win. Amen? He's not saying he's like the unjust judge and you just got to keep bugging him until he finally gives it to you. I believe one of the things that's going to be a revelation to us when we get to heaven is all the hindrances to life that had nothing to do with God, but it was the stuff of life that blocked our faith. We're going to find out when we get to heaven that some of it had nothing to do, our missing out had nothing to do with our faith. It had to do with other people's decisions. There's all sorts of things that the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We don't know it all. We can't. And if anybody sits up and says, well, I know this and I know this and this is because of this and this is because of this. And I always know the answer. They don't know the answer. Right? But here's the good news. It's not what you don't know that has to stop you. It's so funny that people stop at what they don't understand and what they don't know, and they're willing to let go of their faith. But Jesus said he's coming to find faith. See, you have enough by what you do know. What do you know? That's enough for you to stand. If you know God is a good God, that's enough for you to stand. If you know God is on your side, that's enough for you to stand. If you know that God is working on your behalf, then you know that that's enough to stand. When you don't know that, then you will find yourself submitting to the enemy when you don't want to because you believe false information. Are you listening to me, family? Listen, what you do know about God is more than enough to take you through every river, through every ocean, over every mountain, down every stream. Come on, somebody. What God reveals to you is enough to give you the victory. If you found that to be true, come on, somebody give God praise. Amen? It's, an, it's enough to give you the victory. Now, three things, excuse me, four things to get better and be okay, we need to embrace. Amen? To get better and be okay, we need to embrace these four things. We need to embrace that, number one, that God wants me well. Write that down. To get better, how many know God wants you to get better? Come on, to be okay, how many know God wants you to be okay? right? To, to get better, to be okay, we need to embrace some important truths. And number one, God wants me well. If you do not embrace, how do we know that? We know that from God's word. And if you don't believe it, let me just ask you, how many know that Jesus met every kind of dysfunction when he was here on the planet? 
He met every kind of broken person. He met every kind of hurting person. And not one time did Jesus ever say, oops, oh, I'm sorry. I'd like to help you feel better. I'd like to heal you, but I can't. No, it's God's will for you to have this. But be blessed. I just want to bless you. I'm going to pray for you that you just have the strength, darling, just to hold on. But so if, don't you think if that was true, that there would have been one person, one person, one person that he encountered that he said that to, but not one. Now there was others. The Bible says it was because of their unbelief. There was others that it gave for other reasons, right? There was other things that began to happen that kept Jesus from being able to do all that he wanted to do. One city he went into, and the Bible records in Mark 6 that he tried to do some miracles, but he couldn't do any big miracles there. He just laid his hands on a few people with some small diseases. He couldn't raise the dead there. He couldn't heal the blind eyes there. It says he could not, which means he tried. Good preaching, Pastor Dave. Sir's quiet. See that? You just got to let that silence be. You say, well, I don't like that. I didn't write it, darling. I didn't write it. But when you start making doctrinal reasons for your dysfunction, you will then sign the letter for what the devil is trying to deliver to you, and you'll never be free. Jesus taught us in that parable, you have to know that you cannot give up. It is not God. Well, pastor, I need to know what it is. Tell me, tell me now, tell me now. I need to know what it is. I need to know. I need to know. Honey, some things you're not going to know. But one, listen, I may not know everything, but you can rest assured I'm on your side. And if you can have your simple faith to have faith that your pastor's on your side, you can have more faith to know that your God is on your side, even though you fully don't understand it. Come on, somebody. Right? No, God wants me well. John 10, 10. Look at it. The thief does not come. Now, I know this, this hurts before it helps, but you got to let it hurt so it helps. Do you ever get the, you ever get, have mom come and she's got to put that stuff that cures infection on your, you know, the peroxide or the alcohol on the wound and, and you're just like, no mom, not that, not the iodine. But she has to pour it in there. It's like, ah, that's how some people are when they first hear this because they've had so many years of believing that, that they're a martyr and that God has just dealt them this horrible deck and it's just their burden to carry and they feel really spiritual with it and it's actually the only way they can go on. But actually, there's many other people out there who have that same belief and guess what they did? Because they believe that lie, they stopped going on. They quit God. They left God. Help me somebody. I don't know why we have trouble with this. John 10, 10. It's very simple. And when you come to the word of God, you've got to either decide, is my tradition going to win or is what the book says going to win? What's going to win? What I was told, what I like, what I want it to be, or what it says? John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, 
to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is in on the side of life. The devil is on the side of failure. Jesus is on the side of healing. The devil is on the side of death. Jesus is on the side of resurrection. So you never have to wonder where God is at. You never have to wonder. Amen? And we must understand that. Just because, and and here's the thing that I want to help you with. When it comes to mental illness... We have, we have one definition for mental illness. We, we, can, we, can say, we can say that anxiety, extreme anxiety is mental illness. We can say extreme fear is a mental illness. We can say sleeping disorders can be t- attached to mental illness. We can say and embrace the fact that people have mental illness when they have uh, eating issues and all these things. And, and, and really, I don't even know that we should say illness. We should call it sickness. And if you'd understand, if you can understand physical sickness, then in my opinion, you can understand mental sickness. Now, how many know that to be sick is a wide subject, right? You can be sick. What's wrong? I got a real bad cold, right? Or you can be sick where we can't, you can't get out of bed. And we have to put you on a cot to bring you to church to be prayed for. How many know that this one is usually no big deal, right? It's no big deal because we know the cold is going to pass, but it's still a sickness, is it not? And do you know if you've got another issue physically, like for instance, if someone has AIDS and they get a cold, that can actually kill them. Cold is nothing to mess with, my family. Just because we get over it quickly, just because we're meant to deal with it, and it's common to man, and doctors don't think that much of it, does not mean that it's not illness, that it's not a sickness. It's a sickness. And in the same way that you can have a physical sickness that's not that serious, much of our mental sicknesses come in the beginning not that serious. And you can have, just like you can have a sickness that's a cold or a sickness that's a cancer that's killing you, you can have a mental illness that's like a cold or you can have a mental illness that will actually eat your lunch and you will no longer be alive. And whichever one it is, we need to take the stigma out of mental illness and we need to recognize that illness is no different than any other kind of illness and God wants to help us get healed. Can I hear a good amen? Okay? Amen. Now, number two, to get better and be okay, we need to embrace that God wants me well. And number two, to be better and okay, we need to embrace that God is going to restore me. See, the way that you can embrace that you're dealing with anxiety, that you're dealing with fear, because when you embrace that you're dealing with those things, you can then start to deal with it with, from the scriptures. But if you don't have the scriptures, how I many know the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you don't have the scriptures or you didn't understand what they meant, 
I don't know about you, but all the time, I'm finding out things from God's word that I didn't know. I'm finding out victories from God's word that I need today. Why? Because I am permanently in this world. As long as I'm in this world, I'm going to have the opportunity to become sick. But I believe whether it's physical sickness or spiritual sickness or an emotional sickness or mental sickness, I believe that the Lord delivers me out of all my oppression. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Watch it. But the Lord delivers us from them all. So just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm not going to face this stuff. I've got to keep myself physically well. I can't go outside in the cold when I'm struggling with a cold. I can't, I can't do certain things when I'm run down. I've got to take care of myself physically. In the same way spiritually, there's certain times that there are people and situations that I'm in no mood for. And they, I don't need them in my life right now. It's not that they're not important. It's just that I'm not healthy enough to be able to take you. Did you ever know that you can get that way? But you don't have to stay that way. Number two, listen to it. Listen to it. Number two, to get better and be okay, you need to embrace that God is going to restore me. Now, how long that takes, I don't know. But here's the promise for you to bank on. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you with this. After we get done with this series, when I get back from vacation, the Lord is birthing a word on restoration. And he wants me to preach this so strong to you that whatever you've lost, whatever's been taken away from you, whatever went prematurely, whatever hurts you, God wants you to know that he wants to restore every bit of it. He's going to bring it back to you. He can't make it okay that your loved one die. You'll never be okay that they died, but you'll be okay in spite of the fact that they died. You'll be okay in spite of the fact that you went through this if you believe God for restoration. Listen to the word that it's based on. I will restore the years the locust has eaten. Listen what God says. And I will bring you out with plenty and you will be satisfied. God's promises to you, I will restore the years that have been eaten and I'm going to bring you out with plenty. God says I'm going to restore the things you lost and I'm going to bring you out with plenty. I'm wondering if there's anybody in this house who believes that today. God says, I'm going to restore what you lost and I'm going to bring you back with plenty. You're no longer going to have that anxiety. You're no longer going to be bound by that fear. You're going to get free. Amen. You're going to get free. Number three, number three, to get better and be okay. We need to embrace that I must cooperate with the restoration God wants to bring. I have to cooperate with it, right? That means if I'm believing God to win the battle over sugar diabetes, right? If you've got type 2 diabetes and you're believing God to win the battle, I had a friend, he got, he got diagnosed with diabetes, Right? And this particular friend didn't want to give up a particular something in their life. Right? Didn't want to give it up. But they were so happy after they got on the medication. Because when they did that thing they weren't supposed to do. When they had that dessert. When they had that alcoholic beverage. Right? That, hey, we don't have to worry. <laughs> 
Got this medication to just kind of push that thing down. But the medication doesn't work the same forever. Come on, if you, if you got type 2 diabetes, you, 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 you're, you're dealing with a situation that doctors say you can be free from. 80% of it is behavioral. Right? That's good news. That means I can't just use the medicine. I got to cooperate with God. Amen? I got to cooperate with God. Right? Listen to it. Proverbs 18, 18, 9. Listen to it. He who is loose and slack in his work is brother to him who is a destroyer. And he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. Wow. Amen? In other words, use every endeavor to heal thyself. That's the word that God gave Pastor Casey Treat in 2003. Going in for our good friend Casey Treat, going in for a routine, uh, routine blood test for some life insurance for the new building to be on him for the new building they were building. Found out that he had hep C from his teenage years when he used intravenous drugs. Right? Hep C. And what did he do? Did he hide it? Did he sit there? Did the, did, the, did the woman sit there who needed justice? Did she say, I ain't got no problems. I ain't got no enemies. There's no enemy trying to get me. No, she shined the light on it. She went to that judge and said, I need help. Casey, Pastor Casey shined the light on it. He said, God's my healer, but I just want you to know what I'm dealing with. And God gave him this scripture. Use every means to heal thyself. Use every endeavor to heal thyself. Oh, we believe in prayer. Come on, somebody. We believe in medication. Come on. We believe in the doctor. Come on. We believe in healing. We believe in the scriptures. Use every endeavor. Use every endeavor. Don't just, listen, if you don't know how you can be healed with the word, you need to start doing what the doctor tells you to do. Shine the light on. Listen to your doctor. But you need to start learning the word too so that you have spiritual weapons, not just natural weapons to fight it with. Amen? You, that's, that's, that's what we need to do. I had a friend, a pastor. And he went through a traumatic situation in his life and continued pastoring. And, and he, all this stuff started happening to him. And you know what? something, when, when your pastor is hurting, when a pastor is hurting or going through something, you may not even know it. Because the gift of God works in him, sometimes stronger under pressure. Sometimes stronger. Because God's going to make sure you get what you want. And he can show up, or she can show up broken, hurting, and just suit up, show up, and it's the gift of God. God takes it out of them, gives you what you need, right? And yet, and yet they can end up hurting. And my pastor friend would have times where he literally had to hold on to the pulpit because if he didn't, he would fall over. He told the story of going through the season. He didn't know what was wrong with him. He pulled up to his house and forgot the code to get into the house. And instantly his, his mind was grabbed and he shared the story. And he was talking with his doctor who was a good friend. And his doctor said, you have PTSD. He said, no, I don't. Soldiers in battle have PTSD. I've never been in battle. He says, no, you have PTSD. It's not just what you suffer in battle. He said, let me read you the symptoms. Bam, 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 bam. And he had nine of the 10 symptoms. 
of PTSD. And when he realized that, it was like, just like I've been telling you, it's like shining the light on it. Oh my gosh, I'm not going crazy. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to lose my life. I just got a temporary illness. I just got a little bit of sick. I don't have to be like this forever. I said, doctor, what can you do to help me? He said, well, I got a little pill that will help you a little bit. But he said, what else? He said, well, you're just going to have to te- keep on doing what you've been teaching us to do. Right? And today my friend is free. My friend is delivered. He's not having symptoms anymore of PTSD. And he's not on the medication anymore for PTSD. Good preaching, Pastor Dave. Use every endeavor to heal thyself. See, we all know that the mind is, it has an incredible power. Right? The scripture says, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. Amen? Second, second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 tells us, For we walk not in the flesh, but we, and we walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can you say amen to that? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to me, my family. According to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, all strongholds begin with a thought. All strongholds begin with a thought. Most mental situations begin with a thought. And if you don't feel that your thoughts have power over your body, I just want to remind you, my friend, of going to a movie and watching a scary movie. Has anybody ever done it? Has anybody ever done it? Did your heart rate go up? Did your anxiety increase? Don't tell me your thoughts don't control. Your thoughts control your life. All strongholds begin with a thought. Number two, thoughts can become a high thing or a contradiction to the word of God. Well, all of a sudden you're believing your fear more than what God says. What do you have to do? You got to take what God says and you got to put it up against your fear. If you have to take medicine, you take medicine, but you take God's medicine too. And you put it up against your anxiety and you give the opposite of what the word says. You start feeding on what the word says. The word is not a dead book. The word is a living book. The word is healing seeds with all the vegetables nutrients that your soul needs to heal. But just like seed that's planted in the ground, it's got to be planted in the ground of your mind and of your heart. Like seeds of corn, it's got to go into your heart and you got to water those seeds by rehearsing those seeds, by remembering those seeds and believing those seeds more than you believe what the doctors say. Not to deny what the doctor says, but to add to what the doctor says. Yes, I may be dealing with this enemy in my house, but I am fighting this enemy with this word. Are you learning something today? Number three, contradictions will grow into imaginations if you don't stop them at the level of contradictions. Right? If you don't know that God wants you to be well, If you don't know that God wants you to be, pretty soon you will be living in terror, in fear, in anxiety, and whatever you don't face will hurt you. The scriptures talk all the way through it 
about the power of our thoughts. I'm just going to give you one thought before we close. Listen to it now. So I want to get to this final point. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. My family, you cannot know the power of God unless you know what God's word says. I know you can tell me how you feel. And I know it's real because you're feeling it. But if you don't know what God says for how you feel, you can't be healed of how you feel. Can you say amen to that? And I know some healing, it takes a minute. It takes a minute. When you go through the sickness, and I'm going to call it a sickness, it's just like being sick. It's emotionally sick. It's mentally sick. When you lose a loved one, when someone dies before their time, or in a horrible way, or a child, or marriage that ends in infidelity, or some other thing that you didn't expect, your whole world caves in. One man, after suffering infidelity in his marriage, he sat there. He was just in a restaurant, and he looked out. He told me, I saw this dad and mom come in with this little three-year-old girl. And I looked at her, and all of a sudden, there was something in my heart. I hated her. That little girl. Because she's going to grow up one time to be a woman who's going to cheat on her husband. That's mental illness, my friend. That's the beginning of sickness. And it was so horrifying to them because they love kids. And they said, I need help. And they went and got counseling. They went and talked to somebody. Listen, when you go through a trauma like that, to go through the stages of grief is very normal. You're going you're gonna to be in denial for a while. You're going to get angry. Come on, somebody. You're going to start bargaining, right? Do you know the stages of grief, right? You're going to go into depression. You're going to have all these things, right? And finally, after some time, it's going to finally lead in that cold. That sickness is going to lift from you, and you're going to get into a place of acceptance. But only your relationship with God will determine whether that's an acceptance that is just, oh, well, it happened. I'm okay. I'll be all right. I guess I'll survive. Or if it's the acceptance that gives birth to a new hope. God doesn't want you just to get over what they did. God doesn't want you just to get over what happened to you. He wants you to be better in spite of what happened to you. Some things will not be restored to heaven, but not because God doesn't want it to. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I can see in Scripture that will not be restored to heaven is death. The Bible says death is the last enemy that will be put under his feet. I know that you may not be able to get your loved one back, but you can have a new life again where you have dreams for the future, where you have hope for the future, where you can be there for your children, where you can be there for your world, where you're dreaming again. It's going to happen. I know it doesn't feel like it now, but it's going to happen. The final truth that you have to understand is God wants me well. God wants to restore me. I must cooperate with my restoration, so i got to change my thoughts. And finally, and in closing, listen, I can't allow myself to get better and to be okay. I need to embrace that I cannot allow myself to faint by becoming cynical and giving up. Becoming cynical and giving up. You know, it's very interesting how easy it is for people to get cynical. 
I think the older we get, the easier it is to get cynical. Why do people get cynical? Number one, because we know more now. (laughs) After we've been hurt, we know more. Right? We just know it's not as rosy as it looks out there. And if we're not careful, we can, we can become like the great philosophers of old who weren't so great, who end up with such a cynical thing. I'm telling you what, there's portions of the philosopher Joshua, excuse me, of Solomon that you need to read, but that dude was depressed. Ecclesiastes, God wants better for you. That's not there to totally tell you how it's supposed to be. That's there showing you when you go the wrong way, this is what it's going to end up like. But it doesn't have to be that way doesn't have to be that way. You know, the, the philosophers, all is nothing. Nothing really matters. Right? No. See, cynicism slowly begins to snuff out hope in our lives. And family, you can't live without hope. Did you hear me? You can't live without hope. God never wanted you to live without hope. He never wanted you to, you cannot allow the fact that you know more now. You cannot allow the fact of projecting past into right now. You're projecting how they reject you. You're projecting what happened to you, and and you're projecting it on right now. That's another clue that you've stepped into cynicism. Here's the third clue you've stepped into cynicism. You just decide to stop trusting people. You still go through the motions. One of the things that you'll find very, very, very true among many pastors is many pastors believe this thought that you really can't be too good of friends of people in your church. And while there's a lot of truth in that, that can actually be a big indication of cynicism. Because the pastorate, like other professions, is filled with opportunities to become cynical. Amen. Filled with it. Because you talk about having the right motives for people, the right heart for people, and you go and you lay your life down, serving ministry, serving in service industries can be the most disheartening thing that you will ever go through if you do not stay connected to God first. Someone sent me this thing about pastors. 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month. 10,000 will retire. 10% will retire a pastor. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94 pastors' families feel the pressure. 78% of pastors have no close friends. 90% of pastors report working. 55 plus hours per week. The caption read it, pray for your pastor. Pray for your cop. You think it's hard for a a pastor dealing with people to not have some of those things. Imagine if you only deal with one segment of people, the most hurting segment that are hurting one another and how you can begin to think wrong it can happen. It can happen. As a pastor, I try to keep my number one job. Would you, Pastor, what's your hardest job? Keeping my spirit healthy enough to speak life. <laughs> That's my biggest job. Keeping myself healthy enough so I can speak life to people. And I've known these statistics. I didn't believe them in my 20s and 30s. I don't say I believe them now. <laughs> but I will tell you that a few months back, 
When Pastor Mosbach came to town and I was with him for a few days and I enjoyed our wonderful time together, he left and all of a sudden I realized something's wrong. It's like the Lord came to me, but and I didn't even realize it. I was going through all the motions. I was, I was counseling. I was preaching. I was reading. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And all of a sudden, how close he is to the Lord. And I didn't realize it until I was in his presence. I put him on the airplane, and I was driving away. And I realized I'm distant from the Lord. I've distanced myself from the Lord. And God was like way over there. And he's like, hey, Dave. Where'd you go? And I didn't even know it. I was so busy trying to recover from what we were going through. I didn't even know it. But you see, when, when you get hurt, if you're not careful, you'll close to people. And if you close to people, it's not long before you close to God. Come on, somebody. Guess what I did? Dave got his guitar out. <laughs> I did what I did in those early days in California on the beach. I went out with my guitar. I didn't know nothing, but I had my Bible and I had my guitar and I sang to Jesus. I get up every morning and I'm singing to Jesus. And my heart's come back to me. About to go on vacation, take care of myself, get healthy, come back and preach and lead. But today I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you. Has cynicism crept in your heart? Has cynicism towards the affliction people are feeling, your family is feeling, you're feeling? Has, have you gotten cynical? Have you kind of pushed people away and pushed God away? It can happen to anyone, even the best of us. Thank you for listening. We trust this message has blessed your life. For more sermons by Pastor David Whaley, visit us at www.harvestlifechurch.org.